God bless you. Happy for all of you that are with us today in the house of the Lord. Let's all pray together as we begin our service here this morning in this Bible study. Jesus, we thank you. God, we love you. How great you are. How wonderful you are. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege to study your word. We ask you, Jesus, to bless every soul that's here this morning. Touch our lives and hearts and all things we magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Say, you look nice today. The one beside you, the one behind you, the one in front of you. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Except Lee Klingler. Is Lee here? Where is Lee? All right. He bumps elbows. He's, he's cautious about germs, so he bumps elbows. That's okay. <laughs> when you see Lee, just bump elbows with him. Praise God. He's a good guy. He's a good man. Praise the Lord. We are studying the book of Romans. I want to encourage each of you, uh, if you would bring your Bibles every week to this class, and uh, <clears throat> take, feel free to take notes, mark in your Bible. I always say this, that your Bible that you have in your hands, you're not adding to the Word of God or taking it away if you write anything in there. That uh, paper and the ink on the paper is yours. You bought it. You bought it at the Bible bookstore, wherever you got it from. Praise the Lord. So you can write in there. You're not going to change the Word of God, Eddie. And it will help you, praise the Lord, to uh, find scriptures and know where scriptures are. Uh, for a long time, many years, I have done a little thing that's always helped me in scripture. If there's a certain scripture or a thought or a phrase or something that I want to be able to lay hold on, that I can't remember where the scripture is, I write it in front of my Bible, and I write the scripture there. And I got in my Bible about, you know how they have those blank pages in the beginning of your Bible? And those blank pages, I'll write some scripture in there. And uh, so if I need to refer to a verse of scripture, I can look in there and... Uh, and there it is, praise the Lord. And I've got one here that says, A Psalm for Old Age, Psalm 71. In case anybody wants to know, there it is. Okay, so anyway, i got all kind of little notes in there for myself. Praise the Lord. So you can put those in your Bible, too. They'll always help you. Uh, I'm going to begin this morning picking up at the latter part of where we left off last week. I want you to look with me with, at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Verse 16. I'm just going to uh, mention here again where we finished up last week. And uh, Paul is speaking here about the power of the gospel to save souls and how that we are uh, saved by the gospel. And that, of course, is the power of God. Look at verse 16 and 17 with us. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news. It's the word. It's the declaration Jesus has come. Jesus came to this world. He died on Calvary, shed his blood, and rose again the third day. That you and I, praise the Lord, can have our sins remitted and that we can have eternal life because he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And therefore, he has given us the same promise. Praise the Lord. All of this is part of that gospel. Death, the the teachings of Christ, the ministry of Christ, 
the miracles of Christ, and then the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's called the gospel, which means good news and comes from that phrase in the, in the Greek. Now, in the 16th verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God. There is power in the preaching of the gospel. There is power in the word of God. And uh, the Lord, is, Paul tells us here in his word, for it is the power of God unto salvation, salvation to be saved, uh, to everyone that believeth. You have to believe for it to be effective. We are saved by grace and that through faith. We're saved by grace. Grace is God's great love for us. Grace is Calvary. Grace is the shedding of his blood. The grace of God is his outpouring of his spirit even to us. All that is God's unmerited favor toward us. Unmerited meaning we did not deserve it. That he has given unto us. But we are saved by his grace, but through faith. Jesus died for the whole world, but the whole world is not saved. And the reason is because they do not have faith or they do not exercise faith. Faith is a response to God's grace. Praise the Lord. Faith is a response. Jesus died for me, therefore, I believe his word. I believe in what he did. I believe in him. I believe everything that he teaches. I follow his word, including repentance, being baptized in Jesus' name, and being filled with his spirit, and then living the life after we're saved. All of that. It's faith, praise the Lord. It's the acts of faith. It is the working of faith in our lives. So the Bible says here that, uh, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And this is the way the gospel was preached in the early days of the early church, and that was they always preached first to the Jews, and then they went to the Gentiles. And of course, uh, the Jews, as a whole rejected it but many of them were saved as you well know and then finally in verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of god revealed god's righteousness is revealed through the gospel through the preaching of the word and through this wonderful uh, faith that we respond to that with from which uh, from so let me repeat let me reread verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith from faith to faith. From my faith, I believe in God, and to others that will see my life change, others that will hear what I have to say about what happened to me, uh, others who will be uh, hear my witnessing how Jesus Christ came to this world to save the sinner. That anybody can be saved, and you can be saved. You know, we tell them that anybody can be saved. Thank God for that. Okay, and so that person, if he has faith then he believes the word of God. That's what preaching is all about. That's what teaching is all about. Is that it's the word of God that's being presented. Faith given to faith. Faith from faith to faith. Praise the Lord. And so this is the power of God through the, through the, uh, through the gospel. And it is the righteousness of God revealed. Revealed from faith to faith. Praise the Lord. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Uh, while you're there in Romans, let me just connect that with one other verse of scripture that I, I don't think I referred to last week, but I will again this, I will this week. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and then also in verse 20, 21. Let me read 18 first. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. 
but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross. Praise the Lord. It is the power of God. Then in verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Praise the Lord. So I'm just pointing out to you here that in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17, it is saying that the power of being saved comes about by Lord, the Lord's divine plan to work through us. This is why, folks, that God works through us. He works through us. And uh, we can thank the Lord for that. He doesn't just save us and set you aside and say, okay, I'll save somebody else, set them over here with you. It's more than that. It involves us. Praise the Lord. God has involved us to be saved. I mentioned this last week, too, and I'll mention it again. When uh, Cornelius, uh, who was a, a, a Gentile, no Gentiles had ever been saved up until this point, Acts chapter 10, and how he was praying and asking God to show him what he had to do that he might be saved and be in favor with God. And the Lord sent an angel, and I often use it this way because it's the wrong way, it didn't happen this way, and the angel said to him, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The angel didn't say that. The angel said, send to Joppa, and a man by the name of Peter will come, and he will tell you what you got to do to be saved. You don't think the angel couldn't have told him that? The angel could have told him the same thing Peter said. Save Peter a big, long trip, you know, going from uh, Caesarea down to Joshua, Joppa, and so, or Joppa up to Caesarea was. And so he could have saved, he could have saved a big trip for, for Peter and the other six apostles or six rather, disciples rather, that came with him. And, and, but the Lord chose that this gospel be by the mouth of men. Praise the Lord. He has chosen it, men and women, of course, women. And so God has designed it that way. And so when we understand that, we should say, thank you, Jesus, because you have involved us in this thing called eternal life. Not just giving us eternal life, but you've involved us to be able to reach out to others. And all of us have loved ones. We have friends. We have relatives and we have people that we know that if we don't tell them, who will tell them? If we don't take the message to them, who's going to take the message to them? Praise the Lord. And many of you, you're the only one out of your family or out of all of those that you knew or you grew, even grew up with. You're the only one. You know, and the, but the Lord saves you that you might be a shining light to them. Praise the Lord. And this is the way that the, the power of the gospel is worked. It goes out from us, faith to faith, goes from us to them. Now, I'm going to go into, today, to, into today's lesson in the next verse, which is verse 18. And this is the turn of the coin. I'm turning the coin over here. He says, of course, uh, just to enumerate here, uh, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God and salvation, and it's from faith to faith. It's believed, and it's revealed, faith to faith. It's revealed from one to another by faith and fashion. Now, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Revealed, again, now you had one, the righteousness of God revealed from us to others, and from others before we ever got saved to us. And then now he goes into that second part for the wrath of God. There's the wrath of God as well as the salvation of the Lord. See, some people think that the Lord is just saving and that's all he ever do, does. But there is a wrath of God side of all of this. 
In other words, God will save for a period of time, and then it, there comes a time it'll all be over. The Lord gave uh, Noah 120 years to get everybody in the ark that would come. He worked on the ark for 120 years. He witnessed, he testified, he preached, on the, preached out before the people, said a flood's coming, so forth, everything. So they had a period of time to be saved. But once the flood came and that door was shut, then it was all over with for anybody else who would get in the ark. The same thing is today. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved. That's a wonderful thing. All we have to do is come to the Lord and repent of our sins and lift our hands to heaven and say, Jesus, please help me. I want to be saved. Forgive me of all of my sins and transgressions. Praise the Lord. And nobody can ever come to the Lord and say, I don't have any. You know, forget that. We all have, we're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, if nothing else. So we all have to say, Lord, forgive us of all our sins. And the Lord is just to forgive us, just to forgive us. He will. He's a wonderful God. It's his will that none, none perish. None perish. Not some are saved to be, some are born to be saved and some are born to be lost. That's, that's not true. That's the doctrine of predestination uh, of individuals. I believe in predestination of the church, but not of the individual. And uh, so we're not born to be saved or born to be saved. Otherwise, these other scriptures would all be, uh, they, they would be nullified, you know. But it's not the will of God that any should perish. It's his will that all be saved. But we have to activate faith. We have to believe. Praise the Lord. Now, the wrath of God is also revealed. And it says it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So what is this unrighteousness part? Let me say, first of all, God has revealed it from heaven. He reveals it through his word from heaven. And I'm going to give you a word, give you a scripture for it. If you have your Bibles, turn with, to, with us to the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, verse 9. I want to read a few verses to you. And when I read this, you think you're reading in the book of Revelation, but you're not. It's in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ, that the judgments of God were coming, and it was a warning. And this is not the only place. This is just one of, of many verses that is like this found in the Old Testament, not the New Testament, not in Revelation where it talks about the judgments of God, uh, you know, uh, being poured out in, in the book of Revelation extensively. But this is found over in Isaiah, and you can find it in Isaiah chapter 3. And I'm not going to bore you with all the reading that we could do here. I could stand here for the next 30 minutes and read scripture after scripture after scripture where the Lord prophesied in the Old Testament there was coming a time that he would judge the wickedness of man. Now, here's just a passage of that, just as a sample. Uh, look at Isaiah 13, 9, and I'm going to read down through verse 13 here. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations Thereof shall not give their light. Sounds like the tribulation period, doesn't it? The sun shall be darkened. Sounds like the tribulation period. Uh, and in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. That's all, all of that is mentioned, not only in Revelation, but in other scriptures as well. I will punish the world for her evil and the wicked for their iniquity. This is 
the wrath of God being revealed from heaven through his word. Everybody with me on that? Through his word. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and the wickedness, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Uh, iniquity. Iniquity is rebellion against divine authority. It's like saying, God, not your way, but my way is what I want to do. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Now, we could go to Revelation and read almost the same scriptures. We could also read it in Ezekiel chapter uh, chapter. Uh, 32, we can also read in Matthew chapter 24, and also in Luke 21, and also in Mark 13, it's all in there. These same things, they're all mentioned there. And I'm just telling you that because it is revealed from heaven, praise the Lord. So the Lord has already said in his word, I am going to destroy the world, I'm going to judge the wickedness on the face of the earth, and it is coming, one day it will happen. And the Lord has given warning of it way back in the Old Testament, right on down the line. He talks about it in the book, book of Zechariah. Uh, he talks about it even into the New Testament. Jesus spoke about it himself and so forth. And, uh, and so it has not yet come to the extent that it is spoken of here, but it's coming. God will judge the world. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven through his word, through his prophets, through even the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And the gospel, the, the, the faith, and the wonderful uh, righteousness of God is revealed, praise the Lord, through his people that he saves and shows the world. This is how you can be saved, praise the Lord, which is a wonderful thing within itself. Now I'm gonna go back to Romans here, chapter one. I wanna show you a few things here. And it says, uh, <clears throat> that this wrath of God is revealed from heaven uh, <clears throat> against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, which we've read just a portion of it to you here, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Hold the truth. And that's an interesting statement because men have always known something about God, but they continue to do their wickedness and their sinfulness. Amen. Those that do. And so it says here, those who hold truth in unrighteousness. Uh, let, me, uh, let me mention something to you here. There's a, look over in Ephesians for a moment. Uh, I think it's in Ephesians. Well, I want to look in Romans 2, I'm sorry. Romans 2 and verse 14. I want to read 14 and 15 here to you, Romans 2. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts or their thinking power or their reasoning about things, their thoughts, the meanwhile, either accusing or else excusing one another. 
Let me just say what this is saying here to us. And this is the same thing that it's going to talk about. I'm going to get into it a little further into it here in the Romans chapter 1. Who hold the truth and unrighteousness because even the Gentiles who did not have the law of Moses, even their conscience told them what was right and what was wrong. They knew it was wrong to, to kill. Thou shalt not kill. I mean, that's in the commandments. But these Gentiles knew it was wrong to kill. They knew it was wrong to steal from another man. They knew it was wrong to, you know, bear false witness, lie about somebody, accuse somebody else of something they didn't do. They, they knew all of that. You know, it, it was wrong to commit adultery. They, they knew that. There's all of these things that the Gentiles, even without the law in the Old Testament before Christ ever came, they knew that this existed because they had a conscience. Now, in addition to that, in addition to that, there was also the witness from heaven in which God gave all mankind to know that he was there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. And uh, I want you to look with me here in verse 19. Stay with me on this very closely. <clears throat> 19, because that, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them by conscience and so forth, for God has shown it unto them. God has shown it unto them. Now look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. That is understood as well, because we understand by the things that, we, that are seen, uh, the things that are made, even his eternal power, so that they are without excuse. In other words, mankind, God's right to judge and send his wrath upon the world is justified. If they do not get saved, it's justified because man has many witnesses that let him know that there is a God in heaven and there's a creator up there. And of course, you and I know that it's the, it's the heavens themselves. You look up into the heavens, you see that. And it goes on to say here, verse 20, so that they are without excuse. Uh, let, me just, let me just say this. Let me give you a verse of scripture. I want you to go to, uh, to uh, Psalms with me for just a moment. And I think it's in Psalms 19. Psalms 19, 1 and 2 and 3. Verses 1, 1 2 and 3. Psalms 19. Verses 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. In other words, every day is telling us something. The heavens is telling us something. Every day. You see the sun come up, you see the sun go down. Praise the Lord. Right on schedule. Right on schedule. Did you know I read about the Apollo program one time? Some detail to it. And they knew exactly, you know, let me just say it, let me back off a little bit. When they shot man to the moon, I don't know if that's the Apollo program or not, anyhow, when they shot man and put him on the moon, when they fired the rocket to send him to the moon, it took two and a half days to get there. How many of you know that? It took two and a half days to get there. <clears throat> the moon was not where it was when they fired the rocket. If they had aimed it at the, at the moon, and fired the rocket at the moon, the moon would have been over here two and a half days later. 
So they had to calculate where the moon would be whenever the rocket finally got there. And they were always right on target. You know why? Because the moon was right on time. The moon was on time. And they knew that. They knew it would be there. You know how long it takes the earth to go around the sun? You know how long it takes? 365 days, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. I got it memorized, so that's how I know. I'm not that smart. I just got it memorized, memorized years ago. That's the truth. That's why every once in a while there has to be that extra day or, you know, leap year and all that stuff. That's real complicated situation. You know, every four years it sounds simple, but then every when you turn the century, it, 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 it picks another fraction. Because you've got those little seconds that are building up and changing. But every 365 days, 48 minutes, six, I'm sorry, six hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. That's how long it takes for the earth to go around. And it's right on time, every time. Because God is on time. And God is in control of all of that. And you can't say, wow, they're just wandering around up there just doing their own thing, you know. I read in the book of Josephus one time about Abraham. It's interesting to read what Josephus says about Abraham. He was living in the city of Ur. And uh, Abraham, as he grew up in Ur, he, you know, they studied mathematics. Abraham was very advanced in mathematics uh, in his day. And uh, they studied uh, astronomy because uh, in that land, you could see the stars and everything it was very clear at night. And a lot of, not many clouds, just a lot of uh, clear skies and so forth. So they studied astronomy. And uh, anyhow, Abraham did in, in his day, in his time. And so they came up with theories in that day. And they would say, well, there's Mars and it's like a god. And there's Venus and that's like a god, a goddess, as you know. And then there is uh, Jupiter, and, and that's like a god. And, and so they had these stars and the sun. He's a god too, you know. And each one is doing their own thing. And Abraham, Josephus is writing, not the Bible. Josephus is writing. Abraham said to them, according to Josephus, he said, that can't be so. Why? Because they all work in too close of a harmony with each other. There has to be one God over them all for that to be the case. They said, ah, oh, you don't know what they were saying. No, there's multiple gods, all kind of gods. And, and the heavens, and these are gods. Up there. No, no, no. This is a handiwork of God because there has to be a mind greater than all of this for all of this to exist in harmony. Do you understand what I'm pointing out to you here? Because they speak of that. They speak about God to us. That's why that we are not without, we are not, we're, we're without excuse. You can't say, oh, there's no God. Duh. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, duh. Look, look up. You know, you ever looked up and saw all those things and everything is on track and everything is working like it's supposed to and everything is functioning, you know. And the further out they can go with telescopes and the further out they can see is the greater it gets, the bigger it gets, and the more amazing it gets. And the more head scratching it gets because it just gets greater and greater and greater because God is greater and greater and greater. And for us as humans to think that we've got God all figured out and cornered 
And this little brain of ours is within our skull here, whatever distance it is around. And I don't know what the circumference of the, or the diameter is of our brain, or I, I have no idea. But you can figure it out. But to think that, you know, we've got all of this universe all figured out up here. And we've come to the conclusion, there is no God, you know. That is such a retarded thing. When the, and the Bible is trying to tell us very clearly, man is without excuse. Because when you look up there, you say, wow. And the more of it you see is more wows. You know, how great God is, how big he is, how amazing he is, how awesome he is. I mean, you cannot, we, we don't even have words to describe the greatness of God. You know, our wisdom is like a drop of water in the ocean. In the ocean, I'm serious, to his wisdom. Our knowledge is like a little drop of water in an ocean of water, in all the oceans of the world. That's to God's knowledge and his understanding, the same thing I understand. And I read that scripture the other day in the Bible, his understanding is infinite. I thought, what a beautiful word to describe the infinite. means like it just goes on and on and on. There's no end to it. And, and, I, and I'm saying to us here today, folks, the Lord is saying in, here in, uh, in Romans, he is saying that he is so great and he is so powerful. And here in this Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, the whole world can see all of that. I never will forget my first trip to South Africa and I was with Brother and Sister Porter and his, their family. And uh, when we had gotten all through with the conference that was we preached there in Swaziland, we went down into, uh, on our way down to a, a town, a Durban, called Durban in South Africa, and where they were taking their son to a private school where he would be going to school there, their oldest son at that time. And uh, so we were on that trip, and on the way, they had decided that we were going to stop and spend the night camping out. And we're, we're in a park where there's wild animals. But you drive through the park, you're okay in your car, but then you go through a big chain link fence with barbed wire and all that. Thing. And so you're within this compound, so you're safe and secure. Everybody with me? You know, and you go to sleep and everything. And, and sure, it was so nice. And that place was a, was a sort of quite a large area. So all the animals were outside that fenced area. We were there and we, you know, put up tents and everything. I never will forget Brother Porter and I, we were lying together on, over one side there. His family was over here, his wife and his, his sons. And we were over there just lying down. And he said, Brother Myers, look up in the sky. And I, all of a sudden, I laid back and I looked at the sky. And for the first time in my life, I saw the southern hemisphere, the southern skies. Now, if you have not been in the southern hemisphere, south of the equator, it's different. And it will always be different. If you've never been there or you never go there, you'll never see what the southern skies look like. And I realized that right there, here I am, I don't know what I was, 50 years old, I, I don't remember now, 60, 60 years, I was in my 60s. Here I was in my 60s now, and I'm looking up and I'm seeing the southern skies for the first time in my life, stars, and, and I realized that they, it is a little different than what I see when I'm in the northern hemisphere. I don't see no seven sisters, you know, I don't see no big dipper, or little dipper, it's, it's not there, you know. I'm seeing a different sky. I don't know where, the, but it was beautiful. 
but it was I don't care where you are there's a testimony of how great God is praise the Lord and how good God is praise the Lord God speaks it everywhere so that man is without excuse and this is what the Bible was trying to say is this is what Paul was saying not trying to say but he said it very well this is what he was saying to those people that early church is that God's right to send his wrath has already been declared it's been spoken of it's been spoken of through Bible prophecy and it has been spoken of through the heaven so that man is without excuse and I you know I don't know where God people just get this idea there is no God. He is the creator of all things. Somebody says, oh, it all evolved from. And I say, well, where did that thing that it evolved from come from? <laughs> Who put it there, you know? I mean, I don't care what you say. You can talk about, I don't believe in evolution of any type. But if you can say it evolved, 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 I don't believe that. And then that stuff goes way on back, and, and there's all kind of stories about it. Uh, I went to a place over in Tanzania, Tanzania, Africa, where they say the first, the first human, the first change of monk, apes to humans developed, I don't know, millions of years ago. And there was this professor and this young aide, a female aide, he was in his 50s, she was, I think, in her 20s. And anyhow, they weren't married enough, but they went there and they worked for years on trying to find evidence that this was the beginning of the human civilization and everything. And they finally found a little place where there was a, there was a footprint of a man. And then right next to him, behind him a little bit, was another footprint, they said, of a woman. I don't know how they knew that. A woman. And the toe of the woman was turned out. And they knew that because as they walked, they flipped the mud. Now, all of this was petrified over, they said, millions of years. So when they found it, it was like in rock. But you could see the little splatter of the mud and the toe was pushed out. And they said this was because she still had that monkey toe that turned it out. Human toes all turn in. And so, and they had this big shrine about the size of this auditorium here all fixed up, you know. And people come there to visit. I saw where uh, Hillary Clinton and her daughter had been there about a month before. They had signed a book and so forth. People, you know, celebrities that they way out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of a, the Serengeti, uh, which is a big place where animals roam. And anyhow, they got all this. And then they have this little place, this little footprint thing behind glass. And then they got a picture here showing you how these people were probably walking. And it's their imagination. Everything is their imagination but that footprint. And I said, they have built their entire theory on that little splatter of mud. I couldn't believe it. I looked at that, and my son was standing there with me. He said, Dad, why would they claim that on such a flimsy evidence? I said, because they spent years here trying to prove it. And so they had to come up with something. Otherwise, their whole life is spent in vain trying to prove something that did not exist when they were trying to prove that man evolved from an ape to a human being along about this time, and here was evidence about the toe. I said, the woman or the ape or whatever you see here with you, what, they could have had a broken toe. You know, it just had a broken toe or it could have had a deformed toe. That's all kind of 
variables that could be happening everything. And he said, and my son said, why do you think they claimed it? I said, because they had to claim something after all these years. They couldn't walk away empty-handed, you know. And they, they worked there and everything, slept in their car at nighttime and had dogs and they'd put dogs outside to keep the animals away. I mean, you know, they worked hard to try to come up with evidence that evolution started right here. Now they claim that's where it all started. And you go there and you say, where's the evidence? Even that little splatter of mud off the toe, <laughs> that's it. And I said, oh my God, I can't believe it. And people build an entire philosophy of this is what we believe, this is truth. It isn't truth either. There's all kind of variables it could be. But when I look into the heavens, I say, there's a God up there that created all things. Folks, let me say this. Our existence is from him. The fact that we even are here, that we exist. Everything that exists, every rock that exists, every drop of water that exists, everything is from God. But what God has done specially for the human race is to say that whenever judgment is all over with, you can still have eternal life. When this life is over, you can have eternal life. If you believe the gospel, believe what I came to do, amen, if you can believe it and obey the word, believing is obeying. I was talking to our class yesterday that we had the Purpose Institute class and I was explaining to them about have faith. Faith is an action thing. Faith is not just up here. You know, some of you say, you know, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Forget baptism. You don't need baptism. No, 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 no. Uh, baptism is an act of faith. That's why the Lord said to Paul, go into Damascus and there'll be a man by the name of Ananias there, and he will tell you what you must do, and repent and be baptized. And he said to him, be baptized, washing away your sins. This is what God said to, 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 to Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. He said, and be baptized, washing away your sins. So you got to be baptized and wash away your sins. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. I mean, it's all in the scriptures there. But uh, and I was explaining to them how that it's, it's uh, very important to understand how this is all connected. But God, praise the Lord, is, is head of everything. He's in control of everything. That's why we need to always give God praise and glory. And he will give us eternal life. Eternal life will come from God. Praise the Lord. And we will walk with the Lord and serve God and glorify his name. God will absolutely one day sound the trumpet. The trumpet will be sounded and we'll rise to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I want you to look with me in verse 21 very quickly here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. This is what happened here. It says, so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, or they perceived that there was a God. Let's take Noah and his three sons and their, and their children, maybe their grandchildren. They all knew about God. God saved them by the flood, right? That meant the whole, the whole human race knew about God. But then as time went along, they began to fabricate stories and so forth. The same thing happened with Israel. They had such an understanding of God when they came through the wilderness and came into Israel and God blessed them and and did everything he promised he would do for them if they would walk with him. And when they walked with him, he did it. Praise God. And he said, so you can take any body of people, you can take any person by himself. So they are the without excuse because, and here's verse 21, because if when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. 
and they, they became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was dark and lonely. I'm going to put this uh, chart up here. This is a little thing I put together here a while back to sort of give us a visual. Here, come on. Degradation of man are these. And this is uh, this is man in the beginning here. Knowledge of God, but you may not can read that, but knowledge of God, but uh, there was no worship and unthankful. No worship and unthankful. This is what the Bible says here. When they knew God, I'm going to read verse 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not a God, neither were thankful. Folks, let me say this. Above all things, we need to thank God. Thank God for your, for your, that you know the, the Lord. Thank him for the Holy Ghost. Thank him for salvation. Thank him for the church. Thank him for, and thank him for your pastor. Thank, you, thank him for the saints of God in the church, your friends. Thank him for your health. Thank him for your home. Thank him for your family. Thank him for your children, if you've got grandchildren, grandchildren. Thank him for your wife, if you're a man. Thank him for your husband. I mean, thank God. There's so many things to thank God for. Thank God for your car. Thank God that you, that you don't have a bunch of bills lying on the table. Maybe you do. <laughs> Say, Lord, I got a bunch of bills on the table, but I thank you that you're going to help me get through this. Praise the Lord. Thank him in advance. Hey, I've done that. I've done it. I've done it. My wife and I walked through the snow carrying two bags of groceries, and she was expecting our oldest daughter our only daughter, our oldest child. She was, and she was, we were walking through the snow and laughing like two kids that uh, was playing a game because we had food to eat. You know, that's just how tough times were. And we were just so happy we had those bags of food walking through the snow. I never forget that as long as I lived, the moon was shining, the snow was everywhere, everything was bleak up south of Indiana. Oh, it was just a bleak. But we were so happy because God had blessed us and we had two big bags of groceries. Be thankful for everything. Be thankful for the food in your house. Thankful that you can eat it when you can, when it's time to eat it. Praise God. I'm just saying, be thankful. But that generation was not thankful. Thankful? I ain't going to praise God. I ain't going to praise God. I don't. What's God done for me? Don't ever say that, man. Did you just breathe? <laughs> That's what you did. Did you just have a heartbeat right there? Okay, God's doing something for you every minute, every second. Praise the Lord. So this, for they acknowledged God, but they, were, uh, they did not worship. They were unthankful because they were not thankful. But then they quit worshiping. They did not praise God, thank him, and worship God. That's where it all starts. And we start going downhill from there. And it goes on to say here in this uh, verse 21, uh, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so they became vain in their imaginations. They started thinking about everything about me, I, mine. This is where it all goes. When we get away from God, you're everything, we get to the fact, I'm everything. I am somebody. And if I'm not somebody, I should be somebody, and people need to know I'm somebody. And that arrogancy and high-mindedness, all that begins to swell up in us. That all comes from the devil. You know that. That's the devil. That's the, that's the iniquity of Satan. You know, Satan is cast out of heaven not because he chewed tobacco or smoked cigarettes. 
That's not why he was kicked out of heaven. He was kicked out of heaven because he had iniquity in his heart. He rebelled against God, and God wasn't great. He wanted to be great. Everybody with me on that? That's another Bible study. Praise the Lord. I'll move on here. Then a foolish heart was darkened. See the little cloud? A little kind of cloud here. You can barely see it. Here it gets a little darker. And uh, he starts reading evil books and reading all kind of foolish stuff. And we allow ourselves, be careful what you read. Be careful what you see, look at. Stay away from some of this movie stuff that's got ghosts and, and evil spirits and witchcraft. Stay all away from that stuff. I'm serious. Don't, don't pollute your heart with that. Just, I'm, that's, you know, if you're ever watching something, be careful what you watch. That stuff, you know, could get in our hearts. Next thing you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're toying with ideas and things. And no, 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 no. Don't stay away from all of that mess. That movie like we saw was uh, last night, the one about the war room, you know. That's a, that's a powerful story about praying. Thank God for things like that. So your foolish heart was darkened. And then uh, professing to be wise became fools. He said, I am so smart. That's what he's saying right here. You can't read it, but I can. And right here, a little cloud. The cloud gets a little darker. He said, I'm so smart. Professionally, be wise. They became fools. And the Bible even talks about it over in the book of 1 Corinthians here a little bit further on. talks about that their foolishness was turned into, uh, their wisdom was turned into the foolishness. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, this is where he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost and to bring it to naught things that, that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. And this is why God does. God takes the simplest things and he will make it, praise the Lord, and he will bless it and honor it and lift it up just so that man's arrogancy and high-mindedness and his pride is brought down. Praise God. My time is gone. And then, of course, they turned the, they begin to worship. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. In other words, what God had made, they worshiped that thing. They worshiped you know, animals. They worshiped uh, people. They worshiped, uh, you know, all these Caesars. You know these Caesars in the Old Testament? I mean, New Testament and the Caesar, this Caesar, that. They all claim to be the son of God. They, 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 claim, they claim that they were divine. And this goes way on back there. This was in Egypt that way. And they always did that so they could always retain power. They claimed themselves to be some kind of a god. Even Alexander the Great claimed that his mother was, the mother conceived him by a god who appeared to her and everything. And Philip, the father, this is Alexander the Great's father. He said, baloney. <laughs> that's, that's my wife. And she got all kind of big stories and everything. That's the way he handled it. But Alexander the Great, when he went riding out conquering the world, he was a yeah. And the more he conquered, the more he thought he was some kind of a son of a god, you know, demigod. Okay, and then they become, they came reprobates and the shadow over their head. Professing said wise, they became fools and they became reprobate. I may talk about more of that next week. All right, God bless you. You've been a good class. We love you. Appreciate you. Let's stand together, lift our hands to heaven. Let's thank the Lord for his goodness here this morning. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your great, great grace, your kindness, your mercy, your goodness to us. Thank you for 
each and every one that's here today. Bless our morning service. In thy precious name we pray, amen.